All right, I'm Rusty Socha, and you're turning into Turn Sideways Games. In this series, I'm interviewing Kickstarter creators to hear the story behind their projects. Today, I have Jeff Chin and Andrew Nurger joining me. They together run Road to Infamy Games, and I'm fortunate enough to call them both my friends. Since 2015, they've completed nine Kickstarter projects and generated over $2.7 million in revenue, gaining two Project We Love tags on Kickstarter. Uh, they have a new project launching this September called Fromage. And I'm excited to dig a little bit deeper and hear more about it. Jeff and Andrew, welcome to Turns Sideways Games. Thanks for having us. Um, so, Jeff, can you share with the audience uh, how you both met? Uh, Andrew and I met in high school. Um, I believe it was uh, in a homeroom, Mrs. Jordan's homeroom. And we shortly after decided to start a uh, ska band together um so we were in a very bad ska band for a number of years what was the name of the ska band <laughs> the scafia don't look it up i'm afraid that music is out there on the internet somewhere but don't look it up <laughs> um and uh in in college i think we started playing rpgs with our friends group um and it was kind of a fun way to, to kind of entertain our our friends playing uh we did a Hunger Games RPG and some Dungeons and Dragons, and I think that was sort of our first foray into like creating game experiences. Well, so so tell me a little bit more about this Hunger Games RPG. Yeah, it was a overly ambitious uh, first venture into game design. I guess um, it was a forum-based RPG with twenty-four players, right? And each player played one of the tributes. And um, the first year we did it, it was really bad and so much work and effort on my side uh, to coordinate all the communication between the players and rules that didn't make sense to anyone. And for some reason, everyone came back for year two. And we did like four or five seasons of this Hunger Games RPG. And that was actually like our first sense of like getting feedback and iterating on something every year the game would drastically change and improve and get up more streamlined and we didn't even have a desire to like become game designers or publishers at this point this is just something we were doing for fun but um it's just kind of interesting that we sort of accidentally stumbled on that sort of process and got to see that sort of naturally we weren't asking people for feedback. We just like sort of witnessed what people were struggling with in the game and, and made changes year to year. So did you guys have like a, a framework or, or like a rule set that you based this on? Or was it, I mean, how, how did you create that? It was super basic. I mean, I think at its core that it had some like D and D style skill checking at, at its basis, but it was really basic dice rolling as the main mechanism. And then we would sort of introduce different puzzles and challenges for, for characters to get past, or they would have to team up with other player characters to, to try and overcome the challenge, or they'd be eliminated. Um, but yeah, yeah. At its core, mostly just, just dice and conversation based. That's crazy. Uh, so like Scafia, is it also searchable on the internet? It is. I think it's all archived. Um, Wish I could remember the name of that forum website. Do you remember, Andrew? No. Something that's out there. I... <laughs> yeah. 
Um, that's incredible. So, okay. So, so you're, you're doing that. And then how do you get from that to road to infamy, which is your first game? Um, kind of a direct link. Um, when Andrew and I were living together, uh, we, after work, just kind of started the hobby of like trying to take one of those hunger games style experiences and turn it into a reproducible experience in a boxed game. Um, and that was like a year long process of kind of, uh, making changes, condensing the rules into something that went from a 24 player game down to a four player game. Um, and by the end of it, like not a single aspect was recognizable from our hunger games experience, funny enough, but that's, that's how game design goes. Totally. Totally. So Andrew, any, any amendments or additions to add to that, that narrative? No, it's it has the true narrative. I'd say the only change I was thinking about is it did not start as a forum-based RPG. It started as an email-based RPG. So where Jeff would receive 24 emails with a list of instructions, and then he would, like like a programming game, execute every action from every player in the correct order following the if-then logic of every player. I think it wasn't until the second year that there was a forum where players interacted with each other directly. And and this was in college? This was, I want to say, right after I had finished animation school and before I got my first like animation gig. Um, so I was at home <laughs> right after graduation and it was like my full-time thing. I was just running this RPG for like a month. Dude, that's so intense. Um so you've had a number of Kickstarters, I, you know, and, and, and we're doing Fromage. So cool. when did you first start discussing Fromage, the concept of it? Um, Andrew, what, tell, tell me a little bit about the beginning of Fromage. Um, the beginning of Fromage was a completely different themed game with different mechanisms called Cask. It was a game about making scotch whiskey. Um, I think we tried to make a go at it and make something that worked after a bunch of play testing we decided to shelve it so the discussion didn't get picked up until we got an email from our friend and board game designer ben rossett who said hey i have some time right now um can we is there something that you guys have always wanted to work on but don't have time or can of make something for you and that's when it got picked up again and then it was ben and his partner um, idea to to change the theme and to rework the mechanics into something totally different. So, like as you see, the theme of today is like when you start working on a game, whatever you start with turns into something very different. Totally. Um. So, so whenever you are approaching a new concept for a game, you know, like Cask or for module or whatever, what are some of the you know, selection criteria or decisions, the way that you kind of think about whether or not to invest the time and the energy in development. And I'll, I'll Andrew, you can keep, keep going, please. Okay. Yeah. So I, we are pretty open and Jeff and I both design things and we play test them and we go with our guts with whatever we think is fun. And that's what we work on. So we're not super clinical on a yes or a no at the onset of you know early game design eventually we try to come into some sort of criteria criteria like what makes this game 
different from every other game that's available or what what kind of components or things are going to come in this game that people haven't really seen before because there is so much um there's so many things out there that there needs to be a level of novelty to really get uh an early project all the way to kickstarter and published and we think personally we just value that as we want to bring something new to the community of board gamers cool hey jeff anything that you'd like to add to that no, I think hit the the nail on the head. That's something we've been focusing on, like especially since since Canvas, right? I, f- I feel like we found something that um, people could really connect with, and something that that kind of stood out as as a product. Um, and so we we tried to do the same thing with like, don't go in there with the box that transforms into a dice tower and globe trotting with the three um, D spherical globes. Um, and so, so Fromage has a really cool circular rotating board um, that I think has some really striking table presence to it. And I know there's other games that have circular boards and stuff too, but this one has a really cool feature of it's a worker placement game, um, but everyone's playing simultaneously into the quadrant of the circular board that's in front of them. And then when that board spins, now you're faced with a, a new quadrant of the board that you can place your workers into. So it has a really unique, um, simultaneous uh, Euro sort of feel to it, right? It condenses the feeling of a two-hour Euro into just like a 40-minute game because everyone's going at the same time. Awesome. So so what was it about, I guess, because it, so it sounds like you, you started with Cask and then it sounds like you shelved it for a little bit and then you, you, you know, picked it back up whenever there was some new information or, you know, with... with uh, you said Ben Rossett, I believe, earlier about yeah. So, so what what initially drew you, you know, to the the, the concept with Cask, and then uh, you know to pick it back up with Ben? What what was that spark that was just like this is this is it? The idea behind Cask is our friends have a yearly Scotchness party, a party before Christmas where everyone drinks a bunch of Scotch. So solely from I don't know, a theme standpoint of something we both love. We wanted to make a game about scotch. Um, and and when we weren't quite funding, finding the fun in that design, we dropped it. Um, I think having a friend or a designer reach out and say, I want to design something for you is just a really like exciting idea. So I, that re- re-sparked it for us. And we're like, if you can find anything to do with this, you know, this is, you know, one of our baby concepts and we'd love to make it happen, you know, if we could. So it's an easy way to say, I mean, kudos to him and any designer out there, I really suggest coming at it that way and, you know, design for the, for your client, the customer, the publisher. Um, it just, it's hard to say no to, to that type of, um, you know, offer. Got it. So, so you had a concept that you took to a certain spot. And then someone came along and said, I'd like to, to work with you. And, and you gave them the concept and they, they, they took it forward. And yeah, that, that sounds like fun. That's all. I mean, it's fun to work with your friends and like, you, you want to do stuff like that. So that, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. We, we had shared like a whole spreadsheet of ideas with Ben and Matthew and they sort of looked over to see what sort of overlapped with their own interests and style of, of designing. And they saw this, this one, you know, cask being a like 
sort of simpler version of a Euro. So I think they were drawn to that since they design a lot more kind of strategy Euro type of games. Um, and they decided to kind of mix up the theme too, because uh, I think they, they've done a, they've done some uh, like beer themed games, right? With homebrewers and uh, what's the other one called? Beer crafters, something like that. Um, <laughs> Um, and so uh, I think Ben and Matthew were like, we want to like do a different theme that's not alcohol related because we've, we've kind of done that. So they mix it up and like, what else can you age? Right. And so cheese kind of came up as a, a fun kind of fresh theme. That's awesome. I, I, um, I was telling Ben, I actually received, uh, I think it's Brew Crafters as part of the Reddit Secret Santa um, box, which was pretty cool. So that, that was my first exposure to that game, but, um, hold this special place in my heart. Reddit Secret Santa is awesome. Have you, you guys done Reddit Secret Santa? No. It's worth signing up for. And, and what I learned, and it's really, so I, I feel terrible about this to this day. Um, so, so they set a $25 limit on, or set a minimum, $25 minimum on the gift that you get for somebody else. And the person I received, it was like, this, it said as a high school, they were like, you write a little bio. The guy is a high schooler. He's in a running. He wants to go visit San Francisco. And so I got him this, this t-shirt that just says like run San Francisco. I'm like, that's what I got him. And I received, like I put down that I'm, I'm into like brewing and distilling and like I have a cat and I received probably a, a, a box valued somewhere between a hundred and $200 of like board games and like cat stuff. And like, I'm, and then I was like, man, I'm a terrible secret Santa. Like I just, I missed, I missed the little point of it. So, um, I have not done it again, but I, I, I feel like I, I need a redemption. Uh, but you guys should check it out. It's awesome. Um, definitely worth doing. So, uh, you know, I, I had a question about some of the key decision points of the development process, but he kind of talked a little bit about, you know, the theme and, and how that transitioned and some of the mechanics that you were excited about and components. So, so, so I have a question and we'll, we'll start with you, Andrew. What was the low points and the high points of the development process from start to finish for, for you. And Jeff, I'm going to give you some time to think about it. Yeah. The low point is... Um, you, you do your low first, and then you do your low, and then we'll, we'll end on the high note together. Let's do it that way. Yeah. Like I guess that. we probably have the same lows and highs. Yeah, probably the same lows and highs. The, the low... There's so much excitement going into receiving a design. And, and I think what Jeff and I both learned is you can play a board game once or twice and get really excited about it. And then on the deeper dive, you start to find little things that you nitpick. So I think the lows and the highs, or the low for us was there. there's so much excitement after like a first play of a revision of it followed by a realization of how much more work's needed to happen to get it to the next step. And and we just experienced that so many times through the process, you know? So it was like, we would find an issue it'd take a while to, to figure out the correct fix. We'd find the fix, we'd get excited again. And then we kind of like find new stuff. And so um, that being a two-year process, near near the times when you kept it we kept discovering new stuff and we were 18 months into the process started started to become like a little more frustrating so the lows like kind of came at the end where we're like i thought we were done we're still working on this okay jeff yeah for me though those lows those feeling of lows came when like December last year when we hit a wall with the design it stopped feeling fun we we got some like negative feedback at multiple sessions in a row 
And so we we were like reworking the game from the ground up. It was kind of insane the degree of changes we were trying out with the game. And I'm glad we did, but like, man, is that emotionally draining to be like, okay, everything we did for the last like six months is not working. We have to like start over and and like rework all these things. And that that was just brutal. Like there were definitely feelings of like, I don't maybe this game isn't fun. Like, I don't, I don't know where we went wrong with this thing. So it was, it was really hard. So, um, there were multiple times where, yeah, we were considering like, you know, this game just not working out. That sounds brutal. Well, so, so Andrew, what help, help us, you know, what, what was the, what was the best, the, the, the highlights of, of this for you? Yeah. The highlights, um, I, I mean, one of the best feelings has has been recently when I feel like we finally got to a point where we have a really great product and just being so happy about what we accomplished. I mean, I always feel like we're on the right path with design when we're trying to tackle something really hard that people generally never done before. Mm -hmm. It reminds me of the development of the canvas art where we said, oh, we want these cards to layer. And we said, you know what? People should be able to layer them in any order with any mix of cards and it always has to look good or artsy or enjoyable. And that was such a, that was also a very tough and frustrating process, but being able to solve that after six months of kind of banging our heads and going, Holy cow, we got to this point that no other publisher has gotten to. And we're creating a truly like one of a kind experience. That's a huge high. And it's very exciting where you know, whatever happens, I think we're going to be very proud of what was accomplished in Fromage. Nice. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a good note to end on. Jeff, what, what do you got? Um, I think a, a, a good high for me was at Gen Con. We, we brought Fromage just to do some, some play testing with a few people from our mailing list. And so we had grabbed a table in the, in the hotel lounge area and just the reception we got, not just from the players, but just random people walking by, stopping to watch watch the game. Everyone commenting on, you know, sort of the table presence of the game, being like, oh, "What is this?" Like a lot of a lot of people just like really excited about what the game looked like, how it played. A few people told me it was like the the their favorite thing that they got to try at Gen Con. I'm like, that's insane. There's so many games here. Like you must just be saying that. But it was just such a different reaction that we got to the, the game then we were at get, getting from like proto spiels and other playtesting events before we had kind of made some of these bigger changes to the game so I was like okay like we're on to something here this this is it the, it's just such a different response I, I think that you know for me personally I one of the things that I appreciate about just the whole activity of game design is whenever you create a fun experience for somebody and so he- hearing that for the first time at Gen Con which is like the mecca in North America for you know just the shared experience of board gaming and the love of board gaming. That's that's awesome. That's that's very very cool. Um, so let's talk about the artwork. How did you guys settle on the the style and the the the, the artists for the game? And, and Jeff, why don't you why don't you run us through that? Yeah, uh, I think of all the games that uh, we've worked on, this was the hardest one to settle on an artistic style for. And we, we tried out a lot of different artists as well. Um, and it was so difficult because the main component of the game is that circular board in the center. And it is 
uh, prone to being so busy with iconography, right? It's got all cutout spaces for where you put your cheeses. Each one of those cutout spaces has a cheese icon and a potentially a little fruit icon in the middle of that icon. There's scoring iconography all over the board. The whole board is like covered with graphic design. And there was this huge debate Andrew and I had for months about how do you make this board look aesthetically pleasing while having so much information on it. And so that meant that it had to be a very um, simple style that didn't compete with the graphic design of it. Um, but we also, we didn't want the style to just disappear either, right? We didn't want the game to just look like, you know, a hodgepodge of iconography in the middle. Like that doesn't have any sort of any nice table presence to it. Um, so um, we landed on a sort of woodcut looking style um, and that sort of came from looking at uh, reference images of like custom cheese boards um, and some, uh, you know, old woodcut artwork from, you know, past centuries and sort of merging those ideas, finding illustrators that could work in this sort of uh, woodcut, hard black line, crosshatch shading kind of look. And that that seemed to work out really well, almost. <laughs> Then we were running into the issues of like these black lines complete competing with all the iconography. And so we had to find ways to sort of like mute some of the details um, so that you still got a feel for that sort of textural woodcut art without like so many dark hard lines on the board. So yeah, it was a long, very involved process. Um, a, the most reworks we've ever had to do in uh board game illustrations before but i i'm really happy the, really happy with the final product yeah no it looks beautiful i'm uh i'm, I'm psyched to get it on the the table um so and it's funny you mentioned that because as you were talking about the cheese boards and everything and finding inspiration i was thinking of of words of a feather and like i this this was a tile that my mother and father brought back from jerusalem and like this was the inspiration like we gotta get this into a board game Let's make that happen. So I, I totally get it. Um, you know, that, that whole finding inspiration in the real world. Um, anything to add to that, Andrew? Um, just that, like, we're, we're very lucky that, like, we had a, a long development process. And so we got to try out a bunch of kind of clip art ideas using Tabletop Simulator and just getting a lot of feedback about how busy the board was. So... You know, what really helped with direction is I made a board with just a wood grain texture on the background and suddenly everyone's like, oh, this is so much easier to read. So that gave us a lot of direction like, okay, you know, do we have, okay, now it's got, does the whole board have to be blank besides this or can we start adding little aesthetics into this? So, um, yeah, I, I think a big thing that came out of just development was just, was just where, where's like the baseline for for readability and then where I think we also learned like where can we add color to highlight the stuff we want players the things that we want players to look at and where can we mute colors where we kind of want to have some white space for players to you know see the different sections of the board and not kind of have everything in full color so that everything bleeds together and you're not sure what's important or what's not important so oh we definitely learned about like the hierarchy of of color and 
you know, tone as we were working on this. And I think that's something we'd never thought about before when designing board games or illustrating board games. It's, there's so much intentionality that I'm hearing behind every element of this design. Like it's so intense. So intense. I hope people appreciate it, you know, whenever they, they finally get on the table and see it. Um, just all the work that went into it. But I, I guess, and maybe this is a good follow into the next question. What, what do you, what element of everything that you do, do you wish that people understood or appreciated more? <laughs> that's, a, that's such a good question. Um, it probably is like graphic design because graphic design is like sort of like the equivalent like in film it's like it's like the editing process it's something that you don't think about when you're watching something and the less you think about it the better job the editor did and i think graphic design is a lot like that and that if you have to notice that there's all this iconography in graphic design and that means it's probably not effective because you're thinking about it too hard but if it's just like naturally helping you play the game without having to realize that it's really all these arrows and icons that are guiding you to just play the game correctly like yeah a good good graphic designer can can make you play a game without thinking right yes and if you noticed it and you're asking about it you've done it wrong right right all right, Andrew, what, what do you got? Oh, just is so good. I think that's so on point. Um, the other thing that we really work hard to avoid is Jeff and I are the only employees of R2I Games. And so we are constantly trying to communicate to our customers and everything that it's just the two of us. I think it's really easy to just say, oh, these guys made a big game. There's got to be a company of 50 of them now. In the real world, especially in like the publishing world with board games, it's it's more likely that you're you're talking to a really small group of uh, of people that are, are really like board game fanatics and fans than you are talking to giant McDonald's corporation. Yeah, no, that's so true. So very true. Um so I'm I'm sure you guys get this question a lot, but what advice would you give to somebody that's thinking about launching a Kickstarter for, for board games? Um, I, I think um, a, a lot of people don't know whether they should take the path of being a designer or a self-publisher. And those are very different routes to take. Um, and both are um, perfectly fine routes to take. You just have to decide for yourself what, uh, what you want to spend your time doing. I think a lot of um, people that design a board game for the first time um, think just, you know, like anyone can go to Kickstarter and, you know, have people fund it and then the game will just exist. Um, but then they realize later, like, oh, I'm I'm like, you know, uh, having to answer all these comments. I'm having to, like, set up my business and pay business taxes and all these things they didn't realize. So I and, and that's not for for everyone, you know. Um, I think some people might get more enjoyment by just doing the design side of it, partnering with a, a publisher that uh, is experienced with and enjoys handling the business end of, of board game uh, making. Just to add on to that, you're talking about responding to comments and, and setting up businesses, but you know that's if your Kickstarter is even successful, right? You, you could sit there and like publish a you know post a project and then be wondering like why am i at 500 dollars you know like 
and and then struggling for 30 days to, to figure out why what to do but um yeah i mean he, he absolutely that's that's a good good response anything from you andrew on that yeah i would say that i i feel like our number one advice for people who want to go on to kickstarter my first question is just like have you ever been on kickstarter like have you backed anything on kickstarter how long have you heard about kickstarter i i think if you want to go to kickstarter then right now you need to start spending time becoming a customer and understanding how it works in appreciating what's on Kickstarter. And if those are kind of things you lack or don't understand, then that might be a signal that Kickstarter is not for you mm-hmm. because it's so different from any other type of web store or business structure. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, at the end of the day, Kickstarter is, it's a, it's a channel to sell your, your products and it's, it's kind of a marketing platform. And there's other things that are out there. Like you could just go direct to Amazon or, you know, there's other ways to do it. So it's a lot to consider, but, um, it, is there anything that I should have asked that I didn't ask? Anything you want to talk about? No, you nailed it. And your questions were great. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I think you're going to knack for this. If this is something you're going to keep doing, like I'm pretty excited for the series. Thank you. Appreciate that. Guys, thank you so much for coming on the show. I uh, I can't thank you enough for being the first, the very first ones. So 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 thank you for, uh, for, for letting me break it, all the technical challenge and everything on you guys. Appreciate it. Um, I'll, I'll do a little uh, outro after this um, later, but uh, yeah, guys, good luck with the campaign. Thanks, Rusty. Thanks. Thanks again for checking out the interview. If you enjoyed it, I'd really appreciate it if you leave a like. It helps me decide what I should spend my time uh, doing next. You should really go check out the Fromage Kickstarter. Uh, it's already at over $100,000, and uh, it's I'm, I'm super excited to, to play it. So thanks again for checking it out. I appreciate it, and I'll catch you on the next one.